Today on the Dad the Best I Can show. It's up to us as both leaders and parents to help teach these things that are essential to bringing us to the next level. And what it comes down to are two key elements, which is my platform for everything that I'm doing and why I wrote this book, which is we got to bring more empathy and more connection. And especially as you look at your kids, my kids, the Gen Z that are entering the workforce, which are about you know 24 all the way through to those being born today, there's an element of connection in, that is, is missing because they aren't flexing that muscle all day every day because they have a screen in the middle. Mm-hmm. So how can we act as a catalyst to creating that interpersonal connection um, and encourage them to be flexing that muscle. And I've, you know, I've rules within our, within my team is like, you know, for example, if you're in the same building as someone, you got to get up, you're not allowed to, I am, you're not allowed to text and you're not allowed to email, get your ass out of your seat, walk over to them, look eye to eye and talk to them. And that's my quick tirade on some of that stuff. So there's a lot of stuff that's happening right now that, um, I think it's important that we take action and that, you know, we also paint a picture that my, how I sign all my books is the best is yet to come. And we can either choose light or we can choose dark. And it's up to us to help people choose light through connection. Welcome to the Dad the Best I Can show. My name is Rob Roseman, who wants to be a millionaire legend, Chicago futures trader, Vegas poker pro. Now I'm a dad to three kids, ages seven, five, and two. Phew, wears me out just thinking about it. Each week we bring on high-performing dads like you, entrepreneurs like Jesse Itzler, CEOs like David Cancel from Drift.com, athletes like Ken Rideout, best-selling children's authors like Zach Bush to tell us your stories, your dad tips and tricks to help all of us make it through dad life. We have a brand new website over at dadthebestican.com. Go on over to dadthebestican.com and sign up with your email. It's 100% free, of course. Be the first to hear brand new dad guests and get weekly dad tips in your inbox. Okay, enough out of me. On to today's show. All right, welcome to the Dad the Best I Can show. Today we are joined by Chris Tuff. Chris is a partner at the ad agency 22 Squared. He is the author of the best-selling book, The Millennial Whisperer, the world's largest and most misunderstood generation. That's not a millennial whisperer. I thought that might be a Nick Cage movie, but (laughs) best-selling book. And of course, he is a dad. Hey, Chris, how's it going today? What's up? Good. Ready to rock and roll, man. Where are you calling in from? Atlanta, Atlanta proud, as you can probably see behind me, Rob, with my yes. uh, all of my paraphernalia for Atlanta. Represent. I'm only two years in here, but this could be the most underrated, awesome city. I used to Chicago up there too, but Chicago, Atlanta, my top five for sure. Well, I mean, you know, uh, I'm a huge kiteboarder, as um, uh, you, I probably have told you uh, in our quick interactions in the past. But uh, it's, I mean, it's so easy to get places from here, which is part of the allure. Yes, I want to talk. I want to talk millennial whisper because I'm now fascinated by this topic. There's so many cliches and judgments made about millennials, especially in the workplace. So I'm excited to hear you give us some tactics and strategies to deal with them and thrive with them. But uh, yeah. first of all, you are a dad. How old yeah. are your kids now? 
So uh, seven and nine, almost uh, my nine-year-old's almost 10, um, two daughters and they rock. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and it's a big part of my own story is, uh, and actually what started my tattoos here, um, which is kind of spiraled out of control into a full sleeve tattoo, as you can see, but, um, center to everything are kind of what I call my hula hoops, which are Marlon, um, my seven-year-old. And then this one is Finley, uh, my nine-year-old, the other one's my wife. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. I got to get her on there too. Totally. Nice. Yeah. Seven and nine. I think that might be, you're entering the prime best kid age as possible. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I told my wife the other night as we were um, on a non-frustrating night, putting our kids to bed, um, we were, I think she put on something on Hallmark, which means it's my cue to start working on the couch. And, yeah. um, uh, I was like, you know what? I wish we could just bottle this up. Like it's such a fun age. It's such a, it's, uh, and, I mean, they crack me up. It's awesome. I love it. Yeah. You grind through those early years. I, I got seven, five and two, so I'm still in it a little bit, but you even see just to have the conversations. And like you said, their sense of humor, it's incredible at that age. Totally. It was funny. I, I, I was running, I ran into a guy, um, I was getting my car fixed because, you know, being in Atlanta, you get, you know, your car gets hit a lot. Um, and the guy working on my car was like, yeah, man, uh, I got a, I got a two year old and a, a five week old at home. And I was like, dude, here's the one thing that no one ever told me about being a dad is that it's okay to not like them until they're like four. And, and I know for my seven year old, it took quite a bit of time for us to develop a, a relationship. Um, but I will, you know, I was like, dude, I'm telling you they're seven and nine. It is such a prime age and loving it. I mean, that's important, too, because I think it's like liberating guys, especially we don't talk about that stuff. And we think we're supposed to be loving it. I'm sure moms have their moments, too. But it does take us a little longer. And yeah, I, I always feel better when people tell me that they're going through the shit sometimes, too. Totally. When I think we I spent so much of especially my younger years as a father, wishing the times away you know it was like you know when they're not a baby and they're a toddler and then they're a toddler and you're waiting for them to be in you know grade school i spent so much of my time wishing the stage that we were in away and it, what's amazing about the human whatever it is the human element is you look back on any one of those stages with you know whether it be on facebook or instagram or whatever and you immediately go back to all of the awesomeness, right? You're like, oh, what I would go do to go back. Whereas in reality, you would have an absolute heart attack if you <laughs> went back to those crying stages. But, you know, one thing I'll, I'll, I'll talk about in my podcast, one thing I do to try to take in and capture the moments more is I actually timestamp my life since um, and actually candles and every night, so I, I, I go through tons of candles and spend way too much money on them. But I timestamp my life with candles, music, and books. And so every night for one hour, I read. Um, and it's usually just novels, actually, even though I wrote a, 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 a nonfiction book. But um, I'll light the candle and then I'll actually timestamp my life with that candle and I'll save the last little bit, which I'll actually go and put somewhere and then I'll light it again in the future. And it immediately brings you back to that piece of music and whatever book you're reading at the time. And I think there's a human element of that where, you know, even writing this book was very difficult at times, not so much the process of writing the book, but a lot of the things, you know, it's a lot like being a parent, you know, you go through these really difficult places where, um, 
it's hard, you know? And, and sometimes you say, or as a father, I know that for my kid, there's an, there's an undistinguished line that we try to help them either push through or we kind of protect them from, right? And I use two examples. One, uh, when my nine-year-old was playing on a soccer team and my wife was a professional, professional soccer player. So, you know, that she, she was kind of expected to perform on the field to a certain extent. She didn't like it that much and isn't playing anymore, but this is about a year ago. And she starts crying when her coach started that uh, told her that she had to move from being defense to offense. And she turns to me, she goes, daddy, I don't want to play offense. I'm like, ah, uh, no, get your ass in there. You're playing offense. And within four minutes, she scored a goal and being on offense was her favorite position. That was very different than the panic attacks we were experiencing from her when it was just a really bad fit with the school she was at. Um, and she has ADHD and dyslexia and was just in a really bad fit of a school. And I had to come in, we pulled her out, you know, lost a lot of money, but found an amazing school in Atlanta, the Howard School. We're huge advocates of the Howard School. And all of that weight was lifted. But I use all of that as a long story of, you know, that is the challenge that we're up against as parents, you know, when you come in and protect, but and then also as a person on the personal side. And I know my, the process of writing that book, it was, I almost pushed myself too far because I put it all on the line. I invested a ton of money, obviously, you know, um, went through, uh, you know, some of those periods where I like, I, I bounced checks for the first time since like I was 27, but I, through the process of lighting that candle and listening to that music, it was about, it was during the lowest point I turned to my wife with kind of like tears in my eye. And also, you know, I'm juggling with trying to support a family. And I turned to her and I was like, do you think I'll actually have good memories of this? And it was four months later that I relit that candle that I had at the time, just four months. And I yelled down to my wife. I was like, they're good memories, Julie. They're good memories. So <laughs> that's, uh, awesome. that's my quick tirade on, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said in that. And, um, you know, my friend Peter Bolden, who I'm sure you know, uh, he's one of the stories in my book, but uh, runs Atlanta Dental Spa and is in this mastermind with Hank McClarty, myself, Tommy Breedlove. There's eight of us. We call ourselves or someone calls us the great eight. Um, but uh, it's actually through through that that he says, you know, there are certain parts in your life where you're pulling back the spring and the further you pull it back, usually that's but the greater the trajectory or think of it like as a bow and arrow and um you know i think there's something big there in both uh, from an interpersonal like you know within ourselves in a personal level as well as as as, as parents yeah it's there's so much so much good stuff in there and it is especially as parents we're we're so new to it we're we're learning on the fly and i know you don't it that line between picking your kids up when they fall or do i send go into the school and bring their homework and that they forgot all of these little things, these little micro decisions. And we don't want to coddle our kids, but at the same time, we, we are protective of them. We want totally. them to succeed. So it's uh, it's good to hear that it's a constant two step forward, one step back learning experience. A hundred percent. And, you know, I think I, I talk a lot, obviously kind of moving into some of the book stuff, but I talk a lot about how millennials you know, what my big statement is millennials aren't the problem. They just expose all the problems and where I get a lot of these kind of boomer executives that have been reticent to change um, is when they actually read the book and they see it through the eyes of their children. 
And their first response is usually like, hey, Chris, after reading your book, I understand my kids a lot better. And you got some points there. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's really interesting, though, as you look at the, the, the product of the millennial kind of generation um, and Gen Z. I mean, you know, some of the elements that I talk about within the book are products of helicopter parents or snowplow parenting, as well as, you know, social media. Um, and, um, the, you know, the, the fact that participation trophies were a reality. And so, you know, that brings a lot of things up that we can probably talk about, but it, it's the harsh reality of what we're living in. And now it's up to us as both leaders and parents to help teach these things that are essential to bringing us to the next level. And what it comes down to are two key elements, which is my platform for everything that I'm doing and why I wrote this book, which is we got to bring more empathy and more connection. And especially as you look at your kids, my kids, the Gen Z that are entering the workforce, which are about you know 24 all the way through to those being born today, there's an element of connection in, that is, is missing because they aren't flexing that muscle all day every day because they have a screen in the middle. Mm -hmm. So how can we act as a catalyst to creating that interpersonal connection um, and encourage them to be flexing that muscle? And I've, you know, I have rules within our, within my team is like, you know, for example, if you're in the same building as someone, you got to get up, you're not allowed to, I am, you're not allowed to text and you're not allowed to email, get your ass out of your seat, walk over to them, look eye to eye and talk to them. And that's my quick tirade on some of that stuff. So there's a lot of stuff that's happening right now that um, I think it's important that we take action and that, you know, we also paint a picture that my, how I sign all my books is the best is yet to come. And we can either choose light or we can choose dark. And it's up to us to help people choose light through connection. Yeah, I like when you're talking about empathy there, especially relating to our kids, because it is, it's almost easier, lazier to just go with these sound bites of, oh, the kids today are so lazy, they don't pick up their heads from their phones. And the reality is, is like you said, A, they haven't worked that muscle, but B, they are brilliant and awesome. And they're going to be, besides their employees, they're going to be your boss soon. So it's like, you're <laughs> missing out and just being kind of mentally lazy by uh, by not really cultivating this relationship with them totally what's the first thing we did when we get on this road trip we throw them our phones the ipad and yeah. we're partly to blame for that people and and also we're a product of that i mean right. you know i look at i asked my wife for a phone locker for christmas like that's what that's all i asked for i didn't ask for any kiteboarding gear i didn't i just want a locker that I cannot get my phone out during the hours of six and eight because I know that's the only, and I have to put my watch in there, my Apple watch too, because that's the only way that I can fully focus on my family and that connection because these times are fleeting. You know, I see it already happening and um, I don't know. There's, there's, the world's changing. We're all evolving. It's not getting worse. It's getting better, but we just got to check ourselves a bit. Yeah. And I totally agree on the the phone. I mean, we're as guilty of it as our kids and we're modeling this behavior for our kids, but I'm a big, and I'm just now learning this. I have to put it away in the other room and then I don't miss it at all. But if not, I'm phantom checking my pocket. Totally. It's just can't be healthy. I had a near, near all, he wrote a indistractable and he had some 
great tips that it's not always the devices and it's our own behavior and mental models that we need to improve on. But I do think there is something to the fact that you have a very powerful, very entertaining, very fun device near you all the time. And it's hard to resist that. So totally. I, I do think we do need to put some boundaries on it. You mentioned uh, Hank. We actually met. Uh, you were interviewing an incredible interview, by the way, with Hank McClarty. He is I recorded with him already. He's going to be awesome. on the show soon, but just an incredible story. And uh, you did a really good job of kind of getting that story out of him and have him talking about you know, the ups and downs of his life, which is really, I think, what people want to hear, especially entrepreneurs out there. It's tiresome to hear all of the good times. And I think it's much more relatable and authentic, you know, even talking about your book and talking yeah. about raising kids, all these things. I'd much rather hear about your struggles. I'm going to trust you more, believe you more and empathize with you more. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at statistically speaking, the second most important thing that millennials are looking for out of their leaders, outside of inspirational leadership is um, really this element of authenticity, um, you know, kind of falls under um, transparency and autonomy. They, they all kind of group together. But, um, and that's according to the 2018 Deloitte Millennial Survey. BT dubs. Um, but, you know, I think it's a, a really important point and why I start my book with my rock bottom, you know, and I had lost sight of what was most important to me, which was, you know, I was hobnobbing all over the world playing the status game, which as Naval says, is a zero sum game. <laughs> and I was um, trying to achieve my metric of success, which at the time was beating my brothers. I'm the youngest six kids. Harvard Business School, Columbia Business School kind of thing. I was trying to, you know, beat them at the game of life. And that was my metric of success. And, you know, everything kind of culminated into a rock bottom moment, um, which lasted about a month. And 22 squared was amazing to, to give me a month off to really look within myself. And a few things were really essential to, to, to being a catalyst that was really a one-year gradual change. Uh, I think I probably present it as more all of a sudden in the book, but you know, one of the biggest things was changing that metric to impact. So my metric of success is the amount of impact and it's going to be judged on a daily basis when my head hits the pillow. So how, how can I actually have impact that's in line with my purpose, which is to inspire and connect. Um, and then how can I double down on being there as a father, as a husband, um, and around my core family unit? And uh, I made a promise to all of them that my family, um, Finley, Marlon, and Julie, that I would do everything in my power to make them my number one priority again. And it was hard. You know, I lost a lot of friends. I mean, I, I remember one night, I also stopped drinking, which was a huge part of it. Um, and I'm very open. I mean, I love being around people drinking. It's not like I have any problem with it. But for me, it was kind of one of these it added to my anxiety and ups and downs and it took me out of flow states and so on. And so um, it was during that kind of year that I lost a lot of friends, um, the guys I used to hang out with and never hung out with anymore because they didn't want to hang out. And um, I turned to my wife and I was just like, you know what? I'm kind of bored. And uh, it was a friend of mine at the time that said, Chris, you know, boredom's just, it's just a synonym for serenity. Like that's called peace, dude. 
it's called mindfulness. It's called being in the moment. I'm like, oh, so this is what it is. <laughs> um, and it was actually through that that inspired the book when, you know, I, I, a big thing for me was actually, you know, helping to birth the exchange, which is um, hoping to create a place where guys didn't have to hit rock bottom in order to seek change in their life. And I was on the executive retreat to that. And, uh, you know, it was kind of an experiment at the time. And there's 14 of us. My friend Tommy Breedlove, who I didn't know at the time, was leading it. And uh, I introduced myself around the fire. My friend Burt Weiss, who's, you know, head of the Burt Show, average age, probably like 44 years old, of the people there. And um, I introduced myself. I was like, I don't even know what I do anymore. You know, <laughs> I've kind of <laughs> lost my friends. And, and uh, but, you know, um, at my work, I've kind of become the millennial whisperer. And I sat down after telling my story and Tommy was like, you better write that book. <laughs> and, and Bert was like, yeah, so tell me some of the shit you do. Like I'm having such a hard time with some of these idiots in the studio or whatever. I'm like, oh, well, I do this, I do that. And they're like, oh my God, Chris, I can't believe you do that stuff. Um, and it was about two weeks later, three guys called me and they're like, dude, I started doing that shit you were talking about and it works. And I was like, oh, sh I think I have to write this book. And then the rest well, is kind of history. Why do you think there is so much resistance to it or that quick trigger of, you know, we're judging and then anything after that, we're not really listening? Well, one, we've got to stop using millennials or Gen Zers as a synonym for young and inexperienced. Mm -hmm. That's one big thing. And another thing is that usually by the time that we're trying to fix a culture problem, problem it's too far along. And what I like to talk about a lot is that culture, good culture is just a byproduct of good leadership. And people were surprised when they start reading my book or finish it. They're like, Chris, this is basically a book about leadership. I'm like, exactly. And it's all around basically how do you create real connection? And why we don't have it today is because it's a lot easier for us as humans from a human nature standpoint to keep doing things the same way that we've been doing it. Mm -hmm. And take, for example, like one of the tactics that I talk about, which is so important, is just developing real relationships with your people because especially the younger generations and Gen Zers, they expect that. They expect real connections with their people. So open up your one-on-ones when you're talking to them to either talk about work or life. 80% of the time, my friend Mike Hibison, who's an executive at um, the Home Depot, is actually the example I use in the book. He says 80% of the time out of his 30 direct reports, they pick to talk about life. And it's through that connection that everything else ends up following and mm -hmm. so you know why aren't we doing it well because we like to do it the same way that our parents did it mm -hmm. and you know things have changed so quickly and it's one thing to look at that change in the needs um and how they've changed from a leadership standpoint so once again inspirational leadership um autonomy transparency authenticity kind of being that core thing and then Another thing from an organizational standpoint, which is the number one thing is money and benefits. That's no different than any other generation. Where it gets different is number two is culture, positive work culture. And then um, three, work flexibility. Like we got to allow people and you look at these newfound pressures as parents. And I call it the Pinterest station of a generation. We have these expectations on ourselves that are absolutely ridiculous. And to juggle those expectations with our work expectations and our personal expectations, it is bound to be a massive disappointment. And so, you know, you look at some of these, all this stuff working together and it creates an environment where change has got to happen. Um, 
And once again, this is a two-way conversation. Like you look at that Pinterest station, you know, I talk about as a parent, you know, my, se- my daughter's second birthday, my wife hands, her, hands me the iPad. And this was obviously a few years ago. And she was like, so this is what I'm thinking for later tonight. I got the balloons over there. I got this, blah, blah, blah. And it was a pin of this big contraption of saran wrap that surrounded her door that in the morning when she opened it up, like a hundred balloons would go in. And I was like, two, no, two balloons, right? Or I use in speeches the example of the first day of school and you got these perfect pictures with, you know, Madeline's first day of school and her teacher and her favorite. It's just, it's, it's fucking exhausting people. And that's a two-way street. You know, one, how do we let go a little bit of some of those tensions and some of these, um, you know, living the perfect life within our feeds and posting the perfect life? But the other side is also true where um, what I call the grass is always greener complex, which is we always expect that there's a perfect job out there or a perfect wife, or we see these perfect fathers. And the reality is there's no such thing. Mm-hmm. So we got to let go of a lot of that. And what then translates into my 70-30 rule, which is 70% of life and your job and everything should fire you up. And 30% of it is just going to suck. 30% of parenting, at least 30% of parenting, 30% of your job is going to suck. So buckle up and use that 70% to fuel you through those low points. But it's something that as leaders and especially for the Xers and even older millennials out there with teams, take people's job descriptions and figure out what's in the 70% and what's in the 30%. And what happens is they stop leaving to try to find that perfect 100% in their minds. And as they're working through these things, it's like, oh shit, like this is in my 30%. Like for me, anything XL and math oriented. I'm like, oh, I just got to work through this 30% to get to that 70. And so you've got all this stuff happening out there, which is essentially what made me pull the trigger on not only writing the book, but also kind of going all in on it. Yeah. And that's one thing to know this intellectually that the grass is always greener. My friend's not actually in Hawaii with his smiling (laughs) kids every day, but And especially in your business, you're on social media a lot. You're producing content, you're working with teams, you're working with your family, and you are putting it out there. How do you balance and stay mindful, even though you know deep down this isn't real? How do you stay sane with social media and work and family and all that? Well, I mean, I think accountability partners are so essential to that. And uh, I think you need a couple accountability partners. Your first accountability partner needs to be your spouse. And if that's not working, then you got to start there. Um, I think, and my wife and I have a very healthy, open kind of communication for our, and I'm, she's much more of a private person. I am, as you can probably tell, not. Um, So making sure that she kind of acts as that and I act as that for her, but also the same is true for your group of of guys uh, that you connect with that can call you out, um, that can remind you uh, also where you need to be working on some of your weaknesses or, you know, if you're going overboard on uncertain elements in your life. And, you know, for me, that's our, our grade eight, you know, it's Hank, it's Tommy, it's um, Mark Hodelik, uh, you know, it's the group of that, you know, every month we have dinner and we, do our check-ins and we give a score to our personal life or family life and our professional life. And um, it's through those check-ins that you have that accountability, but also that 
um, that source of, you know, where you can actually make a commitment and then check in throughout that month to, to hold you to that. And it changes everything. Like I'm, you know, I was just texting with my buddy Quincy Jones and he's at the gym with Peter Bolden right now. And, you know, he's done five days in a row at the gym, which is the first time since like college he's done that. And mm-hmm. so I think that accountability piece is so important. Um, and you said that that group, which is interesting, and this is something I think about a lot and I'm sure all dads deal with a lot of your college friends and your friends in your twenties and your high school buddies, they start to, you start to kind of lose some of that relationship. And it sounds like you, this is a relatively new group of friends that you've built in your late thirties. Is that right? Yeah. One year we came together one year and how it came together was Quincy was, um, he turned to me, he was like, dude, um, I love some of these things that you're doing with like the exchange and some of the interviews you've done with like about connection and stuff. So, but I want to do my own kind of group and I want to assemble just a group of guys who are all, uh, almost all dads, uh, and you know, Uber go-getter <laughs> type airs. And you know, the first couple of dinners is like, yeah, you know, I think this will be cool. And then things started to get real. And, uh, you know, they've been such an, for me on my journey, like one thing I talk a lot about is like the power of currencies and, you know, not knowing me, I grew up in the so I fell into the social media and digital space and I became known as like the guy for social media. And, you know, that all changed when I hit my rock bottom where my currency then kind of became more of this culture fixer and this empathy and connection person. And so, you know, um, it was actually the grade eight that helped me realize that going from this to that is nearly impossible. And instead you got to look more at the gray and set goals in that gray area. And that was a smack to the face. You know, I mean, it was hard for me. I heard it from some other people and uh, I was like, okay, okay, now I get you. Okay. And we got to redirect ourselves and start, I, I think, um, bringing in more of that practical advice. To, I mean, at least the way I'm run, very emotional. <laughs> yeah, I think then that's a hard thing that is empowering for other guys to hear is that you do have to put yourself out there, go to, you know, meet new people and be open to criticism and maybe shed some of the bad influences in your life as you are. Because we do go through these kind of reinventions, rebirths, inflection points in our life. And you are going to be like they say, the average of the five people around you, in your case, exactly. the eight people around you. And sometimes yeah. you got to swap out some of those, uh, some of those eight, right? A hundred percent. And, you know, I think it's also under understanding that relationships take time. And I think we do live in a society where we want quick fixes for everything. And what I found is, especially with like, I mean, even my relationship with Hank, it's, it took a little while to understand each other. And, and now we're just cranking on um what is a very you know it's not a tit for tat scenario i think a lot of guys find their relationships built on kind of a score system or tit for tat Mm -hmm. and nothing in this is like i don't want anything like let's just help each other out Mm -hmm. but you know having the patience to see everything through and get to know each other um instead of just you know thinking that all of a sudden you're going to show up to dinner and 
you know, cry and be vulnerable. And it's like, no, that's not reality. People, mm-hmm. it's gonna take time and a little bit of work on both ends. And sometimes it doesn't work. You know, sometimes people are bad fits. So move on, you know, yeah, you got to keep dating sometimes. Totally. Totally. Uh, I did want to touch on if you're okay talking about it, you talked about quitting drinking. And I think yeah. that's a big thing that a lot of guys and dads as we start having young kids and get into our 40s struggle with whether you know, the hangover is just not nearly as fun when you have a, <laughs> a, a four-year-old crawling in your bed. Right. Is there any advice you can give dads going through that, struggling with that decision, or maybe talk about, again, why it is, why it was so hard, part of that sure. 70-30, and, and why it's been so beneficial for you? Yeah, sure. So I think deep down, I always had almost like a jealousy of my friends that didn't drink. <laughs> and, you know, they'd go on these, we all go on these trips. Uh, where you just end up coming back 10 times more tired than when you left. And that's your getaway from being a parent and a husband. And you're, you come back, you got like these huge bags under your eyes and nothing good really happened. It's not like deeper connections were made. You just got wasted the whole weekend. And um, it was through also my twin brother, identical twin brother ended up quitting drinking way, you know, like years ago. And I think I haven't drank in three years, I think. And so, um, watching him go through that and I always had kind of like this jealousy and, you know, for me, it wasn't until I hit that rock bottom, which manifested itself as kind of, you know, panic attacks. Um, and I'm a very upbeat person and I was hitting these lows that I hadn't really seen before, um, or at least in many, 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 many years. And, uh, so I sought advice with some friends and, you know, as I looked, took the time out, um, from work and even being a dad and a husband and was able to look at this soup, I would say like the broth of that soup was alcohol. It was beer. I mean, it's not like also I would never get wasted. Like you, you would never see me out of my gourd, but, um, there was this kind of moment where I'm like, you know what? I'm just, I got, I'm taking it out. And when I took it out, everything started to change. And it wasn't all of a sudden, but you know, I was waking up clear, clear headed. And, and I mean, I lost two ring sizes, like in my <laughs> ring. And it's not like I've ever been a big guy, but my, my whole body transformed. And, um, you know, I, I will say as more people kind of reach out to me and they're like, Chris, I was inspired at, I've been inspired and wanting to, I've wanted to not drink anymore. Can you tell me what works? Um, I know for me, I'm like a black or white type guy. So I wasn't going to have one beer. Like what's the point of having a beer? Mm-hmm. Like I have a huge amount of respect for people that do that, but no, I'm going to pack on a buzz. So, um, you know, for me, once again, it was kind of taking it all out and, it's uh i had to learn how to like socialize again you know it's weird when you go into these social situations where you've spent your whole life with a social lubricant with alcohol you got to relearn that stuff yeah um and so and now it's relearned three years later and um i find that like around ten thirty six things get lame really quick um, yeah. and it's for whatever reason it's right around like that ten thirty eleven time where it's like i'm out yeah. And then I'm I'm the first one up the next morning running or kiteboarding or whatever. And it's really not nearly as big of a deal as most people think. So, but it's such an important part and of my own kind of evolution. 
Um, and it has been that big of a deal in terms of the impact, positive impact, once I've taken it out. Yeah, and I imagine you found some some new fun hobbies to uh, <laughs> take the place of it. You're talking about yeah other things you do to refuel. Your uh, yeah. tell us tell us really quick what in the world is kiteboarding and are you flying sure. through the sky on a kite? I've seen I've seen yeah. people try it. I never saw them get up though. Um, so yeah, I have a um, you basically have a wakeboard um, type board on your feet, um, and then you have a kite different sizes but big you know it's um anywhere from 15 square meters almost like a parachute down to eight square meters depending on the wind is and then you have a harness and it's attached to your harness with what is almost like a water skiing bar and uh, i am obsessed with it so uh my goal is to kiteboard 40 times this year 40 times not 40 days my wife would kill me but like 40 <laughs> different sessions so yeah. you know uh hank peter and i hank's actually just learning how to kiteboard we were just down in isla Morada, and then before that turks and caicos we do these trips where you can just bang out tons of rides and i mean you're also covering when we were in turks pete and i covered 120 miles in three days and i mean so you're you're cruising but basically you know you're hauling you you've probably seen at any beach you go to with a little bit of wind you're like, what is that? That looks mm -hmm. fun. And then when you start pulling the air, you know, you can get 30. I mean, the pros are getting over a hundred feet of air, oh, wow. which is crazy. Does that hurt? But when yeah, you that's land? my jam. What's that? What's that like when you land from a hundred feet in the air on a well, I'm not going a hundred feet. I mean, I'd say probably the highest I've gone is 20 something, and I've landed hard. And yeah. it's just like falling off a um cliff or something from a high from high up, and you just kind of get beat up. Yeah, but, you got uh, the adrenaline. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 exactly. And so, so that to me is like that. I mean, that's my that's my happy place. Um, and, that's, and for uh, me, people people ask me like my favorite, like what's your ideal spot? And it's me kiteboarding, like in my mind, like what's your ideal spot? It's me kiteboarding. I come back to the beach, and my wife and daughters are there, and I kind of hang out with them, and I give them big hugs, and I go kind of up to like the hotel or whatever it is and i bang out a couple calls and then i put some like you know something on the grill and that's my perfect day like i do a little work kiteboarding connection with my family ideally maybe there's some other guys around hanging out but that that's my happy spot that's a good day i my wife and i when we were out with a couple that's been our new question describe your perfect day and there is some time with the kids for sure, but there's a lot of alone time. There's a lot yeah. of time with your spouse or a little time with your spouse, but yeah, <laughs> there is a lot of alone time. And I think that's an important part for dads is to, you know, not feel guilty and take that time because they're going to come back refueled. Do you, are these guys trips are going on or are you taking the whole family? No, a lot of guys trips mm -hmm. and that's new. That's brand new. And cause I used to feel so guilty about it, but what's worse is when you're at home being a, grumpopotamus and um not contributing the ways that you want to and or need to and it's not once again it helps when i'm not going on these trips and getting wasted the whole time i'm going there and having i'm usually coming back with a couple new business ideas or new clients for you know 22 squared or something something great always comes out of it um while also refueling which is that, that that's as good as it gets let's take a quick break for our dad tip of the week brought to you by kickstart reading 
Do you have kids between the ages of three and six? I've got two boys, and when my older son was going into kindergarten, my wife and I quickly learned that we had no idea how to teach him how to read. We found Kickstart Reading and watched one two-minute video together, and you could see his confidence take off. Bonus, I felt like dad of the year. Here's another dad talking about how Kickstart Reading is helping his boys learn how to read. Hey there, this is Chris Heller, and I'm a big fan of Kickstart Reading. Each morning before school, I show a video to my four-and-a-half-year-old son, and now his little two-year-old brother is getting in on the action as well. I'm a big fan of the videos. Highly consumable and engaging for young boys. Definite recommend for all parents out there who are looking to get their kids off to the right start with reading. Kickstart Reading. Go to kickstartreading.com and use the code DAD to get 65% off right now. That's D-A-D, DAD. See? It works. Kickstartreading.com. Now back to the show. Let's get back into uh, dad life for a second. We'd like to do a dad tip. Chris, do you have a tip you can give other dads out there? Um, Well, so one thing that we do i think it's super important especially when you have more than one kid figure out scenarios where you can connect with the other one because usually or what i found with my friend group as well as personally you end up gravitating either out of convenience or age you end up gravitating where people dad and mom kind of pair up if you have two kids or you know you kind of have these things so create scenarios where you flip flop and so like my daughter is my nine-year-old who I drive her to school every day and she's very emotional like me and we just uh, are always kind of attached at the hip. She goes riding every Saturday and so my wife actually takes her to riding and then I go off with Marlon and we go on adventures together and I'm hoping that she's going to be my kiteboarder. But by kind of flip-flopping that, um, I think it's really important that you get more of those dynamics. The other thing kind of dad tip that I've been doing that's super cool is we're about a year into going to bed and and doing mindfulness together. We use Calm and it's a way that you can bond together, but also it helps. It's kind of two birds with one stone where you can meditate as a a father and son or a father and daughter in my case. Yeah, I like like both of those tips. I do that occasionally with my kid when he can't sleep. I end up passed out on his floor while he's awake. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, the switching on and off with the kids you know my wife just actually I think planning that too she just called me and said you got the basketball game with Cameron on Thursday so I'm going to take Brooks to dinner and on the other night I'm going to take Cameron I think you do you you can't always you want to be spontaneous but there is some planning that needs to go into it so I think even just like three days if you can figure out how you're going to get that quality time in it's much less stressful for you and the kids totally all right, Chris. Hold on, I got a little sound effect here for you. Uh-oh. Are you ready for some rapid fire questions, Chris Tuff? Yeah, let's do it. What was your first car? It was a Pathfinder. What is your favorite meal to eat for dinner? Uh, in Atlanta, Umi when someone else is paying. Um, at home, it would be some uh, probably steaks on my big green egg. What is your favorite movie of all time? We'll start with drama. Um, Dead Poets Society. How about a comedy? Um, gosh, one of the Farley movies. Um, Black Sheep, maybe. 
like one of those guys. Yes, he's he's the best. Oh, so good. What is the favorite your favorite live concert that you've ever seen? Um, have you ever heard of the band The Samples out of Colorado or um, Rogue Wave? And like the samples aren't big anymore, but Sean Kelly's still doing um, some stuff. Rogue Wave is probably my number one. And Band of Horses as well. That's up where, there. Where did you see them? Everywhere? Uh, the Fox was the best that I've seen. If you were a Major League Baseball player, what would be your at-bat song? Oh, great question. It would be some sort of wussy um, indie rock, like probably the shins or something, like just to change it up. And it's just like, it just takes me away. That would, so that would fire them up. Not going to get anyone fired up, but it'll get me fired up. And then everyone will fall asleep and I'll use it to my, um, to my advantage. All right, Chris, I read that you were, you owned a beeper at one time where I think we're both part of the beeper generation. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, this is true. I would get beeped when I was over at my girlfriend's house to, to come home from my mom. Yeah. Oh, you got the text beeping. I was going to ask you, what was your favorite number code to get, get beeped? With? Oh, it was only it was only with my mom to get me. To oh, all right. Home. That okay. was pretty much it. All right. Yeah. I hope I hope your mom wasn't texting you some of the things that I got. That's good. No, I didn't get any of that. I never went through it. Like, I skipped that whole stage for some reason. We went straight from beepers to to cell phones i had a british girlfriend at one time also and i got my first text message i was like oh my gosh what is this <laughs> these she's able to write with her phone and last question what is your favorite podcast to listen to right now uh naval uh how to get rich uh, it's uh actually we uh it was through peter bolden and and hank McClarty and the grade eight that um, I was exposed to Naval for the first time, founder of Angel List, amazing entrepreneur. And uh, he loved his podcast so much. He had someone write all of his podcasts in, down into a book and he printed the book and it says how to get rich on the front in like big white on black letters, which is super embarrassing to be seen reading that in public. So I took a Sharpie and I, I, I blanked out rich. So it just says how to, and uh, Naval is my guy. And I agree with almost everything he has to say, except for his stuff around networking, which um, I'm not going to get into right now. He is incredible. He's like a Yoda with his wisdom and it's all. So his podcast, is that where they do like the, take his tweet storms and put it into exactly. audio exactly yeah excellent excellent highly yeah and if anyone listening if you want to find it just go to youtube and do naval how to get rich and they compile all of his tweet storms they're super short um but they compile it all into audio that's in that youtube and then it's actually written below it um on that website so check it out all right. Great answers, Chris. Let's talk a little bit about your career. I read somewhere that you were a Don Draper in your former life or maybe your current life. Yeah, I think I'm a kind of in the middle of the Don Draper. I, I sell, uh, as I've noticed in life, um, ever since the third grade, um, the only good thing I heard on my report card in third grade was Chris's enthusiasm is contagious. And my brother says, calls it my passion disorder. And uh, my passions have evolved in life, you know, from kind of the digital and social realm to now this, you know, uh, how do you, how do we create more empathy in the world? But that still puts me in this place where I'm always selling, whether I realize it or not. And what's cool about what's happening with the book is that my book is now opening up doors to 
for, you know, fortune 100 companies where I'm doing these big speeches and engagements with them. And then after I create that relationship, um, the Don Draper kind of comes out and is like, well, it looks like you guys need help here, here, and here. You know, I have an advertising agency that I'm a partner at. And so it kind of converts into that. So, you know, yeah, that, 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 so I guess I'm kind of playing a little of both right now. Um, and I, it's pretty cool. I love do you it. ever, do you ever imagine Mad Men is, is one of my favorites. Do you ever imagine what your life would have been like if you were alive and in the agency in the sixties? I, I do. And, um, I don't know how much different it would be. You know, I don't know like, if you could have uh, given up drinking by, back then. I know, I know, right? And and uh, he, you know, John Hamm actually uh, quit drinking uh, a, a while ago um, as well. Uh, I think he actually quit just before I did. Um, but yeah, no, I think that would have been probably more difficult. Although I can't say it's very easy in in, in our society either. <laughs> Everyone yes. drinks. I, I did want to go back to one thing. You said you're one of six. Is that right? Yes. That's incredible. Brothers, sisters, everybody? Uh, yeah. Not, well, so five boys, one girl, and I'm an identical twin married to an identical twin. And my, wow. so my wife was an identical twin and a pro soccer player, and she kicks my ass at every sport pretty much, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, so we're both identical twins. But yeah, youngest of six kids, a bunch of overachievers, and an identical twin. So youngest, you got a chip on your shoulder then when you're that young and you got all those brothers to compete with? Uh, yeah, but, I mean, you get very competitive. My Enneagram, I'm a type three, which is uh, an achiever. And I think a lot of that is comprised from what is family systems theory, being the youngest of six kids, but then also an identical twin because you're just super, you're always competing. Yeah. And so the the competitive side is, you can get a little dangerous with me. And that's why I, like the, I got to counteract that a little with some of the mindfulness and taking a deep breath, let it happen versus make it happen is one of those balancing acts that I'm not very good at. <laughs> That's good. I think my uh, five-year-old has got some middle child syndrome, very competitive. I, I see it in sports and everything. So there's a lot of good outlets for it, but I do have to keep my eye on it. And it's good to see that that competition can uh, bear some fruit later in life. Dude, I think it's one of the most important. I think it's a super important trait um, and a great one. The key mm -hmm. is resilience within that, right? So when you get beaten, do you bounce back or do you wallow in it? Yeah, that's what we're working on now. We still get <laughs> at five. If you steal the ball from him, it's uh, no fair. So we're we're working on that. Yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. I, I, good luck with that. Give give him a couple years. Yeah. So six kids. Uh, I w I wanted to ask you. I asked a lot of my guests. Is there one thing that you look back that you learned from your dad or your parents? You know, my dad actually has this thing that 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 is super cool where. You know, he was a turnaround CEO um, and he's, you know, international companies he ran and he's a thing with all of his kids where um, it was about 15 years ago. He announced at one of our family dinners uh, that he was going to take each one of us on a trip anywhere we want in the world. And it could be no more in five days. And we had to plan the whole thing. And the caveat was it needs to be in a country that he's never been and you've never been. And then you also, within 24 hours of returning, have to send an email to the rest of the family recollecting your trip. And then he does it and sends it at the exact same time. And so I just went, did mine. I just sold the rights of my book to um, a Portuguese publisher. And uh, I'd heard so many great things of Lisbon. I was like, dad, we're doing it. 
And so he's, he went to Cuba with my brother, Iceland with my brother, Barcelona with my sister. I was like, we're going to Lisbon. And, um, you know, what was so cool about that was, you know, father-son relationships, I think, can oftentimes be very hard on us. And I've always, I think, struggled with his affirmation. Uh, I've always wanted more of that affirmation. He's British and not as emotional or at all. Like, I'm the exact opposite of him in that way. But, you know, it was after that trip that he sent an email to everyone and was like, Chris is by far like one of the most enthusiastic. His he's exhausting because he never stops. And, you know, to kind of hear his view of me, which I see all day, every day as I do what I do, but to him, for him to finally see those things in me, was a, kind of like a, a big moment. Um, but the same is true of, of my view of him. And, you know, it takes really getting away. And I encourage everyone to go take a trip with your dad and, um, connect to that way, regardless of what type of relationship you have. Um, and it's actually kind of cool because within our grade eight, it's inspired um, a lot. Hank actually just brought his dad to the Auburn game with him last weekend when he was featured on, on the field. And a lot of people are starting to do these things um, and they all come back with these amazing insights. But, you know, I learned so much about him and I see a lot more similarities in us, you know, than, than I had before. Um, and, you know, really it comes down to, I have a huge appreciation for both his ethics um, as well as his always putting the family first, which, which I aspire to do as well. Um, so I would say th those are big things, but everyone take a trip with your dad before it's too late. That's awesome. Yeah, it really is true because don't you look at your dad completely different now that you have kids? Like you always thought they, should be perfect and everything. And now that you see you're, yourself struggling with some of these things and it's like, Oh, I guess that's why uh, I pissed you off that time. Or, totally. Or yeah. the first time when they go and ask you for advice, it's like, Whoa, 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 wait, yeah. is this happening? Right now? <laughs> you want my advice? That's awesome. It doesn't happen often. Trust me, but it has. Well, Chris, we only have a few more minutes, but I did want to get back to the millennial whisperers. So many yeah. great, so many great nuggets in there. Sure. Did you give a, maybe a, quick tip to leaders that they can use even tomorrow when working with millennials or dealing with them? Yeah. I mean, one of the greatest, um, I mean, I think takeaways is, you know, create a system where people are appreciated. Um, I think deep down people just want to feel accepted and uh, a part of something and appreciation and rewards and recognition is absolutely essential to that. By the time that you're buying the kegs or the ping pong tables or building the new office like NCR just did here, it's too late. You're, you're trying to alleviate a culture problem um, after it's you know, a systemic uh, issue. So uh, you know, well, the workshops that I've been doing, um, one of those key points is you know, one, create a top-down reward and recognition. And the first thing out of anything, it takes one minute of your time. When someone gets recognized on your team for doing a good job or by a client, um, just all you have to do is press forward and you forward that to their boss, their boss's boss, and then you CC them and maybe some of the other team members and you say, awesome job. Or just insert a GIF like with a you know celebration GIF, right? For that, that's the single most effective use of your time to increasing morale and adding culture. Um, the other side is just create a real connection with your people. And you don't have to wait for your one-on-ones to do this. Go up to your people, 
look them in the eyes and say, how are you doing today? Or ask them, what's driving you? What, what motivates you? And, you know, I think it's through that relationship and that connection that you'll actually start seeing them come around um, versus being, you know, so I think business oriented because it doesn't work that way, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so, yeah, those are two, I think, easy tactical things people can start putting into place that would have a huge impact. Yeah, I like that tip. I mean, 10 seconds for you to forward an email and write literally two words. It's almost more powerful when it's got like three words in an email. Too. Totally. So, so yeah, totally. I, I'm going to I'm going to use that one on my wife, uh, yeah. my wife today. And yeah, I even like you, you gave a couple quick tips that I read about uh, change your you gave a great speech, but you could have worked on this. You said change the but to an and. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I liked your other one about uh, grabbing, oh, we should grab coffee sometime. And you like yeah, to add the- Turn lights in to buy one. Yeah, yeah. So let's, what, what is that one? So, oh, well, the build a better sandwich is people, your people want instant feedback. So don't wait until the review to give it. And they're actually much more open to critical, some of the critical pieces, but go in with a compliment and don't say, but. So let's just say it's the podcast. Hey, Chris, great job on the podcast way to push yourself out element don't say but use and and there's a couple of things i think you can do a little better i counted how many times you used fillers uh you said um 32 times and you said like 57 times so definitely look at improving that in the future and just be aware of that and by the way seriously great job way to push yourself out there. You're already above and beyond a lot of your peers because you're actually doing it. So that's the feedback piece. Um, the other piece of that is this idea of turn lets into buy when. And I think we live in a very unaccountable culture. I think we all like to talk a big game and that we don't walk the walk. So there's no worse email or no worse interaction than you saying in the social setting, let's grab a drink or let's grab dinner and then nothing happens. So in the future, just respond immediately with buy when and it brings instant accountability and you'll find yourself actually changing. And uh, it's been a life changing thing for me because I live it to a T, but those coffees and those lunches actually happen when you answer the let's grab coffee and you immediately say, okay, buy when next week, let's pull out your calendar. And I mean, look, look, I think that's probably what ended up spurring this, uh, podcast now yeah we said okay by when do you want me to go on your podcast that's awesome let's do this thing i love it chris so many nuggets in here thank you so much for being on the dad the best i can podcast where can people learn more about what you're up to sure uh so if you want to connect with me the best way to connect with me is surprisingly on instagram it's tough two two t-u-f-f two two and uh just send me a message and i'll hit you up um there and then if you want to get a copy of the book get it off Amazon. It's cheap. It's like 10 bucks. I don't make any money off of them. Um, but I think I get like a dollar each maybe, but, uh, go to the, uh, go to Amazon, the millennial whisperer. And you can also go to the millennial whisperer.com. That's two L's, two N's. And there you can take a self-assessment, um, as well as download the first chapter of the book. If you want that, if you, anyone listening can't afford the book, hit me up. I'll send you a free copy. I've given away like 7,000 copies, so I can also do that. So check it out and lots of great things happening. Love it. Thanks, Chris. Uh, I got to go run, catch the kids on the bus. We'll talk soon.
Rock and roll. Thanks so much. Thank you guys for listening to the Dad the Best I Can show. Go take five seconds. Hop on over to dadthebestican.com and sign up with your email to get weekly updates. Dad tips in your mailbox. Get your questions answered on the show. That's dadthebestican.com. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Actually, five stars. We could do better than that. Brooks? Infinity. Infinity stars. Cameron, how many stars? Infinity thousand. Infinity thousand. You got to one-up them in this household. Thanks. See you.